Okay, so once again, I am joined by Tom Seams, CSPS's senior economist, to talk about what's going on in the economy this month. Thanks so much for joining me, Tom. Thank you, Matt. It's uh, good to be with you. So in 30 seconds or less, what is the big story of the economy this month? It seems like we were on a pretty good track and there's been some uh, some new numbers that, that put into question whether or not we're, we're on the right path. So just in, in, in a short summary, what is the big story? Exactly. I think the big story this month has to be the disappointing jobs report after so many other positive economic reports that we had over the past month. Just real quickly, uh, while jobs increased on net 266,000 in April, um, it was far below most estimates. I looked at the Bloomberg consensus, expected the number that uh, uh, came out, and and jobs were supposed to increase somewhere between 700,000 and 2.1 million on net. So 266,000 is far short of that. And moreover, the April unemployment rate ticked up a notch to 6.1% from 6.0% in March. What What is the good news from the numbers from this month? Is there anything good for us to look at? Well, absolutely. There always is, you know. Um, if we start with jobs, uh, right now there are actually more than seven and a half million jobs available, according to the JOLT survey. JOLT stands for Job Openings and Labor Turnover. So labor supply uh, uh, seems to be an issue, you know, more so than labor demand. Um, seven and a half million jobs, that's roughly equivalent to the total number of jobs in all the New England states combined. So I think if we reopen safely and, and there's an appropriate incentive for people to work and there's not a job uh, slash skills mismatch, there appear to be plenty of jobs available. Um, also, good news in the jobs report was that 331,000 jobs were added in the leisure and hospitality sector, and we had 187,000 jobs that were added in drinking and food establishments. So these are two economic sectors that lost the most jobs last year. So putting more than half a million of these workers back on the payrolls is really welcome news. And I think prior to the jobs report, we had good news in the first quarter GDP report. It increased by 6.4%, and that was led mainly by really robust consumer spending. And that, of course, was given uh, an assist by two rounds of government stimulus in recent months. And looking at productivity, that increased 4. Point, or, I'm sorry, 5.4% in the first quarter and by 4.1% on a year-over-year basis. That's strong, and that should result in solid corporate profits in 2021. But it's also worth noting that productivity growth is typically strong during economic recoveries um, as businesses, you know, they tend to shed unproductive activities and focus on just really doing what they do best. And I think the last piece of really good news, it's kind of good news, bad news, uh, comes out of the auto sector. The lightweight vehicle sales exploded to more than 18 and a half million in April. Um, that's at a seasonally adjusted annual rate. That's the highest since 2005. However, the bad news is there's a lot of supply chain disruptions and semiconductors that's impacting production. 
and as a as a result, it's probably going to impact future sales as well. So there's some corporate profits on the horizon. There's higher productivity. It seems like there are jobs available for those re-entering the market. Let's take a little deeper look at this jobs report then and figure out where the bad news is coming from. If all of these industries are adding jobs at a fast clip, what caused such a disappointing jobs report? Yeah, the bad news in the jobs report was that we had several large economic sectors that actually lost jobs instead of adding them. And that's where the surprises came in. Um, in particular, we had professional services employment that was down 79,000 jobs. We had transportation and warehousing that was down 74,000 jobs. So, uh, you know, I, I think that those might come back, you know, later on, but it was just kind of a disappointing one month report. So we're going to have to keep an eye on, on, on that. I think um, there are some other indicators, you know, that, that kind of signal that there might be a stall. I mentioned last month, some of the high frequency indicators that I watched closely and uh, morning consult does a daily consumer confidence index. And it's been hovering at just above 100. That's up from the high eighties that it was in January. So it surged really in February. But for about a month now, it's just been hovering right at that 100 uh, to 102 mark. And similarly, I talked about Open Table and they have statistics on dining reservations and that it was up sharply this year. Well, it's up, but it's still 20% below where it was in 2019. And TSA throughput also rose uh, fairly dramatically in the first couple of months of the year, but that one also seems to have stalled at a point that's about 40% below 2019 levels. So, you know, there's some, there's some bad news in the numbers as well. I mentioned the um, supply chain concerns I have on semiconductors. You know, it's not just for autos. I mean, we use semiconductors and all kinds of stuff. So there could be further bottlenecks and disruptions down the road in a lot of different sectors. There's also supply chain disruptions and in, in chemicals and resins and things like that. I can't get any, chlorine shock for my pool, for example. And, and uh, I know people that want to build houses and lumber prices have doubled. Um, and then this recent cyber attack that we had on the U.S. fuel pipeline over the weekend, that, that really demonstrates that supply chain disruptions can come from many different angles. And that could drive up uh, oil prices and fuel, fuel costs at the pump. So a lot of things that uh, uh, we need to be looking out for. And I'd, I'd say supply chain disruptions right now are, are kind of uh, top of mind for me. So supply chain disruptions, unprecedented changes as people return to work, uh, big increases in supply without the ability to produce, uh, really unprecedented. So naturally, my next question is, uh, what do you think is going to come next? What are your predictions? Yeah, well, I'm pretty confident that second quarter 2020, 2021 growth is really going to be strong. Um, you know, people are starting to get past the lockdowns uh, in, in many areas, and they continue to increase their spending over previous months, particularly with the stimulus boosts that they had. And businesses continue to reopen and, and want to hire workers. So I think 2021 growth is really um going to look good. Um, of course, there are several hurdles that we have to overcome. 
the economy needs to have herd immunity where people are uh, feel safe getting into groups and interacting. Um, I mentioned the supply chain disruptions. Um, something else to watch out for is, you know, we had moratoriums on foreclosures and rental evictions, and some of those are set to expire, as well as various government foreclosure measures for mortgage and, and student loan borrowers. That's a little bit further down the road, but it, it does. it's going to be something we need to keep an eye on. And then the um, threat of inflation is always a potential concern. We can't just wave off um, all of these funds that, uh, you know, we're in the government stimulus and the Federal Reserve easy monetary policies. It has to go somewhere. And it could already be a contributing factor, I think, to rising stock prices, rising housing prices, rising auto prices, um, among other things. So, so you know, on the one hand, the jobs report is kind of dismal as what it was. Um, the the sluggishness in that kind of gives credence to the Federal Reserve's patient policy to wait to raise short-term interest rates. You know, there's been a lot of concern about well, is the Fed, um, you know, going to wait too long. So they're clearly focused on jobs over inflation. Um, but I think on the other hand, it's important that we understand what might be behind some of that slower rate of growth. And I think there are several possibilities. I don't really don't have the answers here, but is it the result of fiscal policies that are designed to help workers kind of bridge their income gap um, from being displaced from the workforce? You know, maybe they don't have enough incentive to get back into the workforce. Or is it really maybe more so because our our economy and our workforce has changed dramatically since the lockdowns began. So in other words, it makes it far more difficult for families to balance work with childcare responsibilities and schooling for their kids. And so it's harder to get back to work. And there's greater health concerns on going back to the workforce, right? So, you know, people are maybe wanting to stay home and not, not get back into the workforce. And then, of course, there's barriers and obstacles to um, commuting in the largest cities, you know, uh, about getting back into the workforce again. So I don't have all the answers on those things, but I think those are some of the hurdles we have to think about for the longer run sustainability of growth in the economy. So if we've got rising stock prices and a changing economy, people reassessing their work, a lot of frictional unemployment. There's about a hundred different places that a regulator could be looking for risk. Where do you think regulators should be keeping their eyes in the coming months? Yeah. Um, so whenever the economy is growing strong and interest rates are low, I think regulators need to be ever watchful that institutions don't start chasing yields and taking on unacceptable risks. Uh, it's really easy to do in this environment when there's you know, cheap money available and um, opportunities start to abound. So I think it's important that the regulators ask the right questions about new projects and ventures you know, to ensure that the risks are managed and mitigated and, and well understood. Um, I think also I mentioned supply chain disruptions, and I think regulators need to keep an eye on how those disruptions might impact the institutions they regulate. 
Um, and it, you know, it's going to take some time for these hiccups to work themselves out. So how prepared are they in managing those risks? And of course, cyber attacks um, are, are the probability of a cyber attack seems to be getting higher and higher all the time. Um, and it's particularly higher and high in the banking and financial sector. So regulators need to be ever vigilant on that as well. All right. Well, Tom, your insights are always really valuable, and this will be yet another valuable addition to our anthology of month-to-month look at an unprecedented economy. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Matt.